0: remove church again appreciate the song service very beautiful song service and the prayers and the beautiful carpet always speaks well of a church when you keep your facility up to date it looks really good and uh, appreciate the young men involved in your church here i know that's why brother gary has it he's going to twist your arm But uh, I'm glad to see young people involved in the church and the beautiful prayers that were offered today. And I can tell you all love your church. You love being here. And it makes me feel good just to be here to see people that love the Lord. They want to be in his house and they want to worship together, be together, and share God's word. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Job this morning. Uh, This is going to come from the uh, little book I got. And so uh, I'll try to hold this to a couple of hours this morning. Uh, The title of my message this morning is the same as the book Six Words That Satan Hates So let's go to the first chapter of the book of Job And I'm going to look at verse 8 And the Lord said unto Satan Hast thou considered my servant Job? Six words. Now, those six words made Satan very mad. I'm going to tell you how mad he was. Made him madder than hell. <laughs> now, hell's in the Bible. <laughs> I guess that's where the term came from. If you're in hell, you're mad. You're mad because you're in hell. You're mad at God for putting you in hell. <laughs> so, But it made him very, very mad. And this morning, I want us to understand... Why it made him mad. And I believe the lesson, primary lesson from the book of Job is one of the most important lessons that you and I will ever learn from the Word of God. Before we get into it, let's meet Job. I call Job my friend. And the reason I call him my friend is because he has taught me so many things. He'll teach you some things as well if you read this book. Now, we've got a lot of friends in the Bible, don't we? Jesus is my friend. He's taught me a lot of things. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's a friend of sinners, (laughs) and I'm glad about that. I've learned things from Abraham, from Moses, from the Apostle Paul. They're all my friends. But Job was a very special friend to me because when I've gone through some great trials in my life, I've learned how to deal with my trials through the suffering of this man. Now, if you're one of God's people, I can promise you, you're going to go through some trials in your life. Because God gave you faith. And he never gave you anything that he doesn't expect you to use in your life. And faith is one of those things. So when you're going through a trial, just remember, it's probably a God-ordained trial that you're going through in your life. Now, if we look at Job, it begins from the very start of this book. God is going to exonerate my friend. He's going to let everybody know right up front that what's about to happen to him in his life is not the result of some sin or something that he has done in his life. Now, I've heard some people say that Job was a Pharisee. If you read the book and read through this, you're going to find out he was not a Pharisee. Job was a good man. And bad things can happen to very good people. Did some bad things happen to Jesus Christ? but it was for God's good and for his glory. Let's look at Job here for a minute. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, this is a description, a short little portfolio of a very good man. Now, I know that the Bible says that there are none good, no, not one. But if you're looking for a description of a good man, and if you were looking to somebody that we could call a good man, and by the way, the Bible does speak of some people that are good people in the Bible. uses the word good. But there is a wonderful description of this man. The word perfect means that he was a complete man. It doesn't mean that he was without sin. There is nobody that is without sin. But he was a perfect man, which means that he was a well-rounded man. As we're going to read, he was a father. He had a wife. Uh, He had a job. He worked. He had a business. Uh, And he was, as you could say, he wasn't a plastic person. He was very well-rounded. And the word upright means that he was morally sound. You can look that up if you want to. But so far as his character was concerned, he was morally sound. He feared God, which we know to be the beginning of wisdom. And he eschewed evil. That means that he ran from it like the plague. So... Here is a good man. God gives us a great description of him from the very beginning. Now let me ask you a question. If there's anybody down here on planet earth that Satan doesn't like, what kind of person is that? (laughs) Well, we've just read a description of the very person that Satan hates more than anybody down here on planet earth. And so we get a good description of him. We find he is also very wealthy. His substance was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of asses, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. So this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Here is a man that's very wise, morally sound, and very wealthy. Did you know that the words morally sound do not usually go with somebody that is very wealthy? Usually wealth will corrupt a person one way or another. kind of puts a kink in their soul. But this is a very extraordinary man. He was healthy, wealthy, and wise. <laughs> and pleasing God in his life. Giving God glory in his life. And if there's anybody that Satan didn't like, it was this man. He also had children. His sons uh, went and feasted in their houses every one his day, sitting and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so that uh, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job would rise and pray for his children. He loved, loved his children very much. Well, now Satan doesn't like somebody like that. He probably doesn't like you this morning. You're in God's house. So, he doesn't like you either, okay? Let's just understand that Satan doesn't like you. He doesn't like me. He doesn't want me to be right here. You know, but I'm not here to please Satan anyway. I'm here to please the Lord. But there comes a day, this is the very interesting part of this story. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. Now, a lot of people have problem with this passage of Scripture. They say, well, now, this can't be up in heaven because God would never allow Satan up in heaven. So let's just say it's a celestial meeting, okay? We won't get into an argument about that. It's somewhere where God is, and he's with the sons of God. And there's only two things that that can be. If you go through all the Bible and you read of all the created beings in the scriptures, it can only be the disembodied souls of the saints that are there with God or the angelic hosts that may or may not have wings. (laughs) Okay, I'm not going to answer that question for you this morning. I know the answer, but I'm not going to. We're not going to get off into that. But anyway, (laughs) I prefer to think it is either the angelic host or a portion of the angelic host. And they're with God, and they're carrying out some kind of business. Now, I don't know what kind of business it is. God has a curtain up there, and you can't look in I mean, it's it's if you think C-SPAN is interesting, this is even more interesting because something's going on between God and the angels. It may have been, they may have been, they may have come back to tell him something that's been going on down here. But you know, we know God knew it anyway. But he wanted to hear it from him, kind of like he he knows about our sin, but he kind of wants us to tell him about it anyway, right? We don't introduce him to anything that he doesn't already know. But he does have a conversation and a relationship with the angels. And maybe he's telling them to go do something, you know, like he told Gabriel to go tell Mary about the birth of her son. But anyway, they've got a meeting going on up there in heaven. And here comes Satan to the meeting. Notice it says, And Satan came also among them. Now, I don't know why he came. I I, I think of one of two reasons. We're going to go out on a limb here a little bit, but this is just my speculation, okay? Either he went there to stick his nose in God's business, or he went there, God summoned him there, gave him an RSVP and said, you better show up, and he's there. Whatever it is, he's there. But I want you to know what's about to happen. God's about to carry this conversation in a God-ordained direction as he always does. And what does he say? Hast thou considered my servant Job? Now either God got him up there to rub his nose in the dirt, or he came up there and he got his nose rubbed in the dirt because if there was any name that Satan did not want to hear, it was this man's name. There may be a few names this morning that you don't want to hear. You may have somebody's name that you never want to be brought up in your face again. But if there's any person that Satan did not want to hear the name mentioned. It was the name of Job. Because he's been down on earth. Satan's been down there. We're about to find out what he's been doing. And he's been having a lot of success with people. He's been getting people to commit all kinds of sin down here. He's been causing them all kinds of problems. Keeping them awake at night. Making them worry about things. Trying to mess people's children up. He's been causing troubles in marriage. He's always down here doing something. But here's the name of a man that he had failed with. Job had made this man out to be a miserable failure. Satan knew it. All the angels knew it. (laughs) God knew it. And he didn't want Job's name brought up. So God brings his name up. Hast thou considered, my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, One that feareth God and escheweth evil. (laughs) I know God just loved to bring His name up in Satan's face. Had a few bragging rights, didn't he? A few bragging rights. Oh, but listen to what Satan says. Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. What an insult to a holy God. An insult to Job himself. The only reason Job serves you is because of what you do for him. Take away all that stuff you're giving him, all of his presents, all of his blessings. And he'll curse you to your face. Now, I've heard of some people that's actually done that. They've gone through some trials. They're mad at God. They're mad at the perfect God that created the heaven and earth because they have had some things taken away. But notice something else about Satan. He knows everything about Job. He knows what he has. He knows his children. He knows his substance. He knows where he works. He knows his cattle. He knows his his sheep? I'll tell you something, he knows all about you too. Some people never think that Satan's real. They think he's just a, a mythical character. Satan is just as real as your dog or your cat. Peter said that Satan walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, if you knew there was a roaring lion loose from the zoo, and he was right here in this area. And you walked out that door, would you be a little careful? You might look under your car or something and maybe wonder, is he under my car? (laughs) But you know, we don't treat Satan that way, do we? He knows all about us. He can hear what you say. He knows what you watch on the television. He knows what your lusts are. He knows the very thing that will destroy you. And you better be ready because he'll put it in your face one day. I was reading about lions, and one thing it said about lions is <clears throat> lions usually roar before they attack. And the reason they do it is because it paralyzes their price. So if he sees something out there and he's going to attack, he'll big roar, it something, and then he pounces on top. Big roar. It's kind of like that bad news you got. Maybe something bad happened in your family. You're worried about something, that big roar, and you suddenly you become afraid. You start thinking about all the plausible circumstances, all the bad things that could come from this, and you get paralyzed. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. I've thought of you know, times when something comes up in my face. They know, oh my gosh, what next? Whoa, that's Satan. He's just trying to scare me. God is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's got Satan on a chain, but you know a lot of uh, lions uh, walk about at night when it's dark, and kind of like when you wake up in the middle of the night and that one thing comes up, and it's tremendous at night. But the next day, the sun comes up, it's not doesn't seem quite as bad, does it? See, that's that that's Satan there at night. He's roaring. He's trying to destroy your peace, your sleep, and your blessings. So here he is. God's brought his name up. And he's telling God, if you take away his presence, he's going to curse you to your face. Well, the interesting thing about that is, the Lord takes him up on this. (laughs) Satan throws down this challenge. (laughs) And God's ready to take him up on this challenge. I want you to think about this for a minute. Do you ever think that your name may have come up maybe once or twice up there? I think this book is here to tell us something. This is a daunting question for every one of us. It bothers us. That's why people kind of steer away from this book sometimes. If this is the way that God is doing things, if Satan comes up there and there's some good people down here and God brings their name up, my name might come up, and what is going to happen to me next? All my friends, but that is a wonderful thing. Because you see, God's about to give Job a great opportunity. The greatest opportunity that you'll ever have in your life. Because he's about to give Job an opportunity to give him glory. To give him glory. Did you know that the best time to give God glory is when you're going through the worst trial of your life? We think the time to give God glory is when we're here in church and we're singing hallelujahs and we're walking down the aisle and big things are happening around here. No. No. The best time to give God glory is when you are going through the worst trial in your life. When you can't eat and you can't sleep and you think that you're going to die from it. That's when you give God glory. Don't curse God. He's just opening up this wonderful time for you to find His fellowship and His presence. Didn't David say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You know, the Lord's with you. You may not know it, but He's there. It's kind of like those tracks in the sand, you know. (laughs) You didn't know He was there. Those were His tracks carrying you, by the way. Those were His tracks carrying you. Well, Satan throws his challenge down, but I want you to notice something else he says in that challenge. <clears throat> he said, you blessed the man, you've given him all this stuff, but he said, but <clears throat> there's a hedge around him. Did you notice that? You made a hedge about him and about his house, and all that he hath on every side. <clears throat> that hedge is something that Satan hates. He hates it with a passion. And that hedge is God's restraining grace. My friends, God's restraining grace surrounds every one of us every day. If it wasn't for that, you would not be here. I think of the times in my life that the Lord's restraining grace kept me from doing something I shouldn't have done. I remember one time when I was at college driving a car way too fast and lost control of it. We ran off the road. It could have killed every one of us. That car spun around several times, slid backwards up in the trees, between two trees, didn't even touch them. And here comes an 18-wheeler right past us. That was God's restraining grace. My dad was a B-17 pilot in World War Two. He He flew 35 missions over Germany and bombed Germany. They called him the terror of the Luftwaffe. He flew so many missions and dropped so many bombs. I could see God's restraining grace. Bringing him home. I told him, I said, Lord, thank you. I told my dad, thank you for being my father. And he said he felt the Lord preserved him so that I could preach. And I always felt the Lord preserved him so I could have such a fantastic father, <laughs> but you see, the Lord's restraining grace has protected us many times and given us so many special blessings in our life. If you look to the scriptures, you'll find that God's restraining grace is mentioned many times in the scriptures. For instance, in Luke thirteen, you know, some people get on the other side of the hedge. You know, David got on the wrong side of the hedge, didn't he, with Bathsheba? You know, God's got a hedge around us, but you can get on the wrong side of that hedge. And you see the bad things that happened to David for getting on the wrong side of God's hedge. I think our country is going in that way. You know, God has protected this country in so many ways. But when we abort the babies and do the things that we're doing now, our country is getting on the wrong side of the hedge. We see the shootings going on and people say, well, why does God let that happen? I'm going to tell you why, because they're on the wrong side of the hedge. When people start praying again and trusting in the Lord, things will change in our country, which I don't know if that will ever happen. But it's not God's fault. It's our fault. It's people's fault for the things going on. And Luke 13 and 34, look what Jesus Christ said to, the, to Israel. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets and stoneth them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings? but ye would not. Like little chickens that are protected under their mother's wings, Israel decided they didn't like it. They did not walk in the paths of God. They forsook Him. They walked on the other side of the hedge. In Matthew 10.29, we know that Jesus Christ watches over us every day. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without the Father's permission. I put permission in there because that's what it means. God's sovereign over all things. All things. Sovereign over all things. You'll find that even mentioned in this book. I remember a trip we went to Mexico one year, and uh, Bryant was about five or six years old. It was at a, a water park. We were, out, we were almost to the bottom of Mexico on the coast down there, and they had this place called Jel High, and it had an underground cave that went in a circle. And you'd go down to that dark cave and you get on a raft and float around under the, underneath the, uh, in the darkness almost, uh, in the circle. It had a cave opening doors around it in several places, almost a mile long. So I'm, so I'm going to keep an eye on Bryant. And I don't know how in the world I lost him down there on those rafts. But there were probably two or three hundred people down there, and I couldn't find him anywhere. I don't know if you've ever lost your child or not out in public. But it will scare you to death. And we were in Mexico. I thought, somebody can get him and take him and sell him. I came out and I found a and I said, I don't know where Brian is. And we started praying about it. And we started. I started walking around the thing. And here he pops out on one of those cave doors in a few minutes. I said, Lord, thank you, thank you. But you know, the Lord never loses sight of one of his children, does he? You know, he speaks of Jacob as being the apple of his eye. That's that little dark pupil in your eye that you protect. somebody reaches or somebody throws something at you, you have a a reflex to do this, to protect the apple of your eye. And he protected. He treated Jacob as the apple of his eye, and he guided him in a waste-howling wilderness. And that's where we're living, my friends. We're living in a waste-howling wilderness. But don't forget, the Lord's watching over you. He's got that hedge. We need to just stay inside that hedge where He wants us to be. Satan really is very limited by God's hedge. In Revelation chapter 20, it speaks of Satan. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Satan is actually bound until Jesus Christ comes back. Now, he's still down here walking around as a roaring lion, but his powers are limited. He's not what he once was because Jesus Christ bound him on the cross. So. He has a hedge. He hates the hedge. He hated the hedge that was keeping him from getting to Job. And so he asked for some more links in his chain. He said, you take away these things. He'll curse you to his face. And the Lord said, okay. He's in your power, but don't touch him. Don't touch him. I want you to notice how precisely God measured those links. He gave him the power to do certain things, but you cannot touch him. Like I said, Satan is a dog on a chain. He can only go so far, as far as the Lord will allow him to go. But he didn't waste any time, did he? I don't think he wasted a single second. Down from the meeting he comes, and he comes right to Job. And Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the sword, edge of the sword. And I only am escaped to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another. And said, The fire of God is falling from heaven and hath burned up the sheep. And the servants and consumed him, and I only am escaped, alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels, have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another, and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Within a couple of minutes, a good man that feared God and shewed evil is told that he's lost everything. Now you may have lost some money on the stock market, or made a bad decision from time to time, but this man lost everything that he had. And the worst news of all, that he lost his sons, his young sons. Losing a child is a very horrible tragedy. But we understand this has happened before. But what is Job's response? Does he go to the doctor and say, well, you know, doc, I'm, I'm pretty depressed. And uh, I need some pills. <laughs> they didn't even have any back then. You know, sometimes medication can mask the problem you're really dealing with. And we need to deal with the problem. Job did not do anything wrong. It says, Job arose, rent his mantle, and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and what? Worship. worship. Is this the time to worship? You've just lost everything. Everything. And you're going to worship? You see how he gave God glory? We never think that it's time to worship when things are going bad, do we? We only think we're supposed to worship when everything is going like we want it to. But see, that's not the time to worship. The time to give God glory is when you're going through your worst trial. That's what God wants us to do. That's why He gave this great trial to Job. He wanted to get some glory from a man down here that was doing what was right. To me, this is a great opportunity for Job. He's like this warrior that says, you're not going to destroy me. I'm going to worship. You're not going to change my love for God. Do our trials change our love for God? When we mess up, does it change God's love for us? No. No. And whatever happens to us, we should still love God. One of the things we ought to be asking in our trial is, Lord, I want to give you glory, but what do you want me to learn from this? There is a lesson to be learned in every trial that you will ever go through in your life. But we've got to be asking the question, what do you want me to learn in this trial? Use this trial to bring me closer to you. Use this trial to make me a better person. I know we all think we're as good as we can get. (laughs) I hate to let the secret out this morning at point removed, but we're not quite there yet. I think there are some people that they start going to church and they learn a few things and I'm about as good as I'm going to get. (laughs) None of you are as good as you can be or as good as you should be. And I'm not either. The Lord's still whittling around on me. I trust He's doing the same with you. That's why you're still going through your trials. And you'll continue to go through them for the rest of your life. And you're hopefully we're going to be getting better and better and better. And I'm talking, not preaching progressive sanctification. <laughs> I'm not preaching that because we all can go up and down. That's the way it is, isn't it? We backslide, we get cold, we get hot. But anyway... So he give he's giving God glory. And he said, Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave the Lord had taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, the Lord gave me those sons, He's taken them away. He acknowledged the source of his blessing. Sometimes when we lose something, we forget it was God that gave it to us in the first place. But you never had it. God is a giver of great things. Every good and perfect gift comes to them for the Father of lights, of whom there is no variableness, nor shadow of turning. That is God. That is God. In all this, Job sinned not and charged, did not charge God foolishly. No foolish words came from his mouth. Like, Lord, you know, like us. Why did this happen to me? <laughs> now, Lord, now? <laughs> Why now? <laughs> Why? That's, those are foolish words. Those are foolish words. Well, now, wouldn't you think now that Job's passed the test. And he's passed the test and everything is going to be great now for Job. Because he's shown what he is. He's demonstrated his faith in God and now God is going to bless him for doing what's right. (coughs) Now, that's the way we would think, wouldn't we? Oh, no. (laughs) No. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. we got another meeting. There are some more angels up there. And here comes Satan again. Well, you know he hated to come this time because he knows what he's going to hear. This is kind of humorous really if you look at it right kind of small talk going on what you been doing down there I've been walking to and fro on the earth just small talk he didn't know anything he was really doing you know Satan has been doing a bunch of bad stuff But didn't say Lord have been doing bad stuff no yeah, I've just been walking around down there small talk you know <laughs> <laughs> well here it comes and Satan knew it hast thou considered my servant Job <laughs> here's those six words once again bam slapped him right in the face well he's not going to let it go is he You'd think that uh, God would have been happy with Job, But you know, you ever heard of double jeopardy? Double jeopardy is when you're tried twice for the same crime. <clears throat> tried twice for the same crime. Now, Job wasn't being tried for a crime. But his faith was being tried twice, right? Right? Your faith is going to be tried over and over again in your life. Don't think that God's through with you. Your worst trial may be tomorrow. How do you like that? <laughs> Mine may be. But the question is, are we going to give God glory when it comes our way? Are we just going to hang our head down and say, oh, poor, miserable me. I'm going to try to eke out my life somehow, some way in a cave. I'm going, to re- I'm going to get back in the closet. I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to be around God's people anymore. I'm just going to hold my head down and mope around for the rest of my life because I've gone through this sore trial. Ever seen anybody like that? Yeah, I have. But see, they could be giving God glory. They could be right here with you this morning. They could be having a great time singing the songs of Zion, hearing the great prayers, fellowshipping with God's people, eating some good food after a while. And making Satan out to be a failure. You know, I like that part of it. (laughs) I love the part he's making Satan out to be a failure. Did you know that you can't do much against Satan, but that's one thing you can do. You can make him out to be a miserable failure. You had not been baptized, you come up here today. You'll make him out to be a miserable liar. Because he said you wouldn't. Yeah. You start reading your Bible. You had not been reading your Bible. You start reading your Bible. Satan said you wouldn't. Make him out to be a failure. Make him out to be a failure. That's one good thing you can do while you're down here. You may say, I've never done anything good in my life. That's something good you can do. Start thinking a lot of good things you can start doing. Be more faithful to God's house, Satan said you wouldn't. Show him you will. You will. So we got double jeopardy here. Satan uses his extra links. And he comes up with some disease. I don't know what it was. But he had boils from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. Now if you've ever had one where you sit down on, that's a bad, that's painful but he had them all over his body and he just sat in an ash heap and scraped himself. Even the friends that once looked up to him. I know when you got a lot of money, you got a lot of friends. And there's a lot of people that like to be around Job because he had money. He had power. He had fame. Still a good man. But once he became ill and everything was taken away from him, he said, even the children disdained me. They made fun of him sitting in the ash heap. How miserable can it get? He's lost everything. His sons are dead. And people are making fun of him. Even his wife, he said, doesn't want to be around me. So here comes some friends from a long way off. Now, we don't know how he knew them earlier in his life. I mean, uh, who knows? Maybe they went to school together or something. But here's a ray of hope for Job. His friends are coming, and they're going to cheer him up. Well, they sit there for, was it six days? Didn't say a word. And then Job starts to talk about his suffering. And then one by one, they all came up with the same verdict. Job, you've done something for this to happen to you. Just confess it and God will forgive you. Here we have a unanimous verdict from his best friends and every one of them are wrong. Every one of them are wrong. Remember, God exonerated Job in the very first of it, didn't he? That's what I read. And they're saying, Job, you've sinned. How? What did you do? God does not do this to people who do not sin. Oh, yeah, He does. He does. You may have gone through a great trial in your life. And you may have been searching your soul every day and what you did to deserve it. You may not have done anything to deserve it. It could have just been a trial that God was taking you through in your life. Just a trial that you're going through. God just wants you to be a little bit better. You thought you were as good as you could have been. I know but he wants you to be a little bit better. And here you are this morning in God's house. And then you would think his wife, she's going to cheer him up. Here's a little ray of sunshine. This wife of his, what does she say? Curse God and die. <laughs> I think Satan was using her. Isn't that what Satan said Job would do? He'll curse you. And here's the wife. You know, she's not giving God glory. Job sat there and sat there. and You can go through a bunch of chapters in this. I'm not going to go any further. But Job's questioning why he was even born. But he never did curse God. Never did curse God. And we get to the very end of the book. And after all of his suffering, we see that the Lord blesses Job. But Job came to something in the middle of his trial that I want you to see this morning. I was going through a real bad trial one time. And I thought, I'm going to read the book of Job. I read it for the first time. And I came across chapter 13, verse 15. And I believe this is where Job turned the corner. This is where Job turned the corner in his trial. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Did you know that's the ultimate trust that you can have in God? Though he slay me with this trial... I'm going to trust Him. No matter what happens. If I die, I trust Him. No matter, you know, it, It's hard to get to that point in your life. But you know, we learn in our lives we're not really in as much control as we think we are. We try to be in control, but we're really not in control. You're not in control of anything. You're not in control of anything. You're not in control of your health, your wealth, your length of days. We're not in control of any of that. The best thing we can be is just in fellowship with the Lord. But in chapter 42, the Lord blesses my friend. We'll bring our remarks to a conclusion here in just a moment. Verse 12, it says, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 she asses, seven sons, three daughters. And notice how God gave him twice as much as he had. Now... He did ask him to pray for his friends because they were all wrong. Sometimes that's a good lesson for us. Maybe that'll be the end of one of our trials as we start praying for somebody that's done us wrong. That may be the end of one of your trials. But the Lord gave him twice as much. Now there is an unwritten chapter in this book. That chapter is, What If? What if? What if God? Job had cursed God? And died. What if? Would he have gotten twice as much as he had before? No. Would he have had those precious grandchildren? No. Would he have given God glory? Would he have obeyed Satan? See, it makes a big difference down here on planet Earth, what we do. Job is an eternal encouragement for every one of us this morning. If he had cursed God and died, we wouldn't have this book in here, would we? We wouldn't have this encouragement from Job if he had cursed God and died. He was an encouragement to his family. If you go through a trial in your life and you give up, all your children, grandchildren, family, friends, relatives, people you work with are going to see it. They're going to say that Satan can destroy anybody he wants to. But if you give God glory, they're going to say, you know what, I can get through this too. What a great encouragement you can be to everybody down here on planet Earth the way that you handle your trial, the way that I handle my trial. What a great encouragement. I'm going to end this morning and I'm going to ask you a question. What do these six words have to do with you? Anything? Anything. Well, they have a lot to do with us. A whole lot to do with us. Because, you know, you and I are all on stage right now. We're on stage before God, before the angels, before Satan, before your friends, before the people that you work with, before your brothers and sisters, before everybody. God is watching. He's watching. I think He's got a little recorder going on up there. When we get up there, we're going to see the whole story, right? We're going to see how it's played out down here. I'll give you a couple of scriptures here. Let me give you three. Luke 15 and 7. These are the words of Jesus Christ. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. I remember when I first came to the church, I had a lot of repenting to do. I came later to read this scripture and I thought you know what when I repented and came to God's house there was joy in heaven somebody might say well that was just God I prefer to believe it was a larger audience than that I believe the angels knew it I believe Satan knew it I believe the disembodied selves of the saints that are in glory were rejoicing my grandmother was probably up there rejoicing <coughs> we don't really know what all they know up there do we? They know a lot more than we know down here. (laughs) Rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. If you repent this morning, there's going to be a lot of people that's going to rejoice in that. Isn't that nice to know? That's better than winning the football game. Making the winning touchdown to know that there's people in heaven that are rejoicing over your repentance. Let me give you another one. 1 Corinthians 4 and 9. This is the Apostle Paul writing, For I think... That God hath set forth us apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. That word spectacle, if you look it up, is translated from the Greek theatron. That's where we get the word theater. It means a place for public show. The apostle says that we are a place of public show. We're on God's stage. People are watching us. The angels are watching us. God is watching us. People are watching us. That's a pretty large audience. Pretty large. You know, sometimes we think, well, we're just contained to what the people that are right here in the church. No, oh, your audience is much bigger than that. Another place is in Hebrews. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after ye were illuminated. Ye endured a great flight of afflictions, partly while ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while ye became companions of them that were so used. The word gazing stock is translated from the word that we get, theater. (laughs) You're on stage. Did you ever read the book of Acts and it looked like a stage? Here are the apostles. Here's the things going on. You've read about the Ethiopian eunuch. Here they're being baptized. 3,000 are baptized. 5,000 are baptized. You meet people. They were on stage. You met every one of them. And now we're reading about them. That book is eternal in heaven, my friends, and so is your life. So is your life. So that's why this book is so important to us this morning. It teaches us the greatest lesson. The lesson that free thinkers and philosophers People of worldly wisdom, they've been contemplating this question for years and years. Why are we all down here anyway? They don't know. But God's people know, don't we? We're down here to give God glory. That's our only purpose in life. I appreciate your attention.